Welcome to the Laura Plantation Podcast. Laura Plantation provides a cultural experience unlike any other in the United States. Here you will find the difference that exemplifies Creole Louisiana. Explore the rigors of 200 years of daily life along with the sobering experience of slavery as it happened at one historic site on the banks of the Mississippi River in the middle of New Orleans plantation country. In this podcast, historian Katie Morlaw-Shannon and director of PR and marketing Joseph Dunn will be your guides into the Creole world, offering you true, personal, compelling stories of the people who lived, worked, and died at this unique historic site. Real history about real people. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 3 of the Laura Plantation Podcast. When we left off last episode, it was 1808 and Guillaume du Parc had died. His succession took place and the will was read. Dupark specifically stated in his will that he did not want his property sold to an American. So what was to become of the plantation? In Creole, Louisiana, our legal system is based on the Napoleonic Code. Women had rights here. They could own their own businesses, run their own plantations, and maintain property apart from their spouses. Nanette was shrewd, determined, and strong-willed. As a Creole woman, it was only natural for Nanette to take over the business. During her 21 years as the head of the plantation, Nanette augmented the area of cultivation and built a sugar mill. She also expanded the enslaved labor force. At 61 years old, Nanette decided to retire. She would always be involved in the plantation, but it was time for her to give up some of her control. By this time, Nanette's world was changing. American businessmen were encroaching on the Creole family plantation networks, threatening their livelihood. She had only one option to guarantee the survival of the plantation into the next generation. Instead of dividing the plantation into three small shares or selecting one child to inherit the business, she decided to convert this feudal estate into a modern corporation. She had three adult children, two older sons and a daughter. The three siblings would have equal shares in this business and all three would pay a role in what would become the family company. That was the Creole way. The family was the business and the business was the family. The family unit as a whole was far more important than any one individual. Nanette's three children, Louis, Flagey, and Elizabeth, all wanted a share in the family business. In the rest of the United States, the laws were based on the old English system of primogenitor. The oldest son inherited the property and controlled the land. End of story. So that would mean that Louis, the oldest, would take over. But here in Louisiana, we didn't follow those Anglo-American ways. Law dictated that all of the children would inherit, and Nanette agreed. Meanwhile, Elizabeth had married a man named Raymond Lecoul, a merchant from France. In 1829, Nanette donated the plantation to her children, Louis, Flagey, Elizabeth, and her son-in-law, Raymond Lecoul. At that time, the plantation became known as Duke Park Brothers and Lecoul, Du Parc Frère et Lecoul. 
77 enslaved people were included in this transaction. For herself, Nanette kept Nina, a cook, and Henriette, a housemaid, as her own personal property. Starting in 1829, there would be company slaves owned by the Plantation Corporation alongside enslaved people privately owned by each of the family members. Today, we will tell the story of two of them, one privately enslaved by Raymond and Elizabeth LeCoul, the other born on the plantation to an enslaved mother who was considered part of the plantation company. Lucy Moore Jones. Lucy was only eight years old when she arrived at Laura Plantation. Raymond LeCoul purchased her mother and siblings on February 11th, 1828. Joanna, Lucy's mother, was described as a 37-year-old Negress slave. Lucy, or Lucinda as she was listed on the sale document, had three younger siblings, Wesley, age seven, Fenton, age five, and Anne, age 18 months. It is possible that the older siblings were left behind in Loudoun County, Virginia, the home of James Beatty Briscoe, the man who sold the family to Raymond LeCoul. William King Ish and Warner Sullivan also held title to these slaves. Both Lucy and her brother Fenton were described in later documents as being mulatto or of lighter color, indicating that their father was probably a white man, possibly the man who enslaved them. Lucy, Joanna, and Fenton all took the surname Moore after the Civil War. When Raymond purchased Lucy and her family, he and Elizabeth had only been married a few years. They were just beginning to establish their household and to amass the wealth that would lead to a French Quarter mansion in need of great upkeep. Joanna became an enslaved house servant and Lucy was trained to follow her mother's path. The Locoul daughter, M.A., and Lucy Moore were only four years apart, and Lucy may have been attached to her as a playmate and servant. Tragically, the Lacouls sold, sold away Joanna and Lucy's younger siblings, and she was forced to live the next two decades separated from them. Lucy grew up in the Lacoul household. As the family acquired property in New Orleans, she inhabited the worlds of both the plantation and the city, navigating an urban landscape unknown to her counterparts in the fields. In an 1850 letter from her aunt Duparc to M.A. LeCoul, Fanny advised her niece, if your mother cannot go out, then she can send Lucy to buy an Angora sweater for your grandmother. Lucy had her child Baptist at St baptized at St. Louis Cathedral in New Orleans. Louis Prosper Sebastian was baptized in 1839 when he was about a year old. The identity of his father remains unknown and his absence in any subsequent records suggests that he died as a young child. As a Virginia native, Lucy came from a Protestant background. In 1843, at the age of 23, she was baptized at the St. Louis Cathedral suggesting that she had been amalgamated into the Creole world, at least in the LeCoul's minds. Raymond, Elizabeth, and M.A. LeCoul traveled to France in April 1845 to meet up with their son, Emile, who was studying there. They traveled first by steamboat to Louisville, then from Louisville to New York City, 
where they boarded the ship Ambassador, bound for France. Lucy accompanied them on their journey and was with the family in France. She was described as a copper-colored female slave on the ship manifests. When federal troops occupied the Lacoule's French Quarter mansion on Toulouse Street during the Civil War, Yvonne de Lobel, M.A.'s husband, sent a letter appealing to the French consulate in New Orleans requesting help in regaining possession of the family's property. M.A.'s husband, de Lobel, promised a detailed inventory of the furnishings of the Toulouse Street residence, including furniture claimed by Lucy, a free negress in our service for 10 years. Lucy's room contained a wooden bed, three mattresses, an armoire, a table, and a wash basin, all valued together at $40. There is no evidence that the Lacools ever emancipated Lucy. Instead, it appears that Delobel stated that she was free in order for his claim to be more sympathetic to U.S. officials or because federal occupation, in effect, rendered her free. Though Lucy had been with the Lacoule family since childhood, it appears she was informally given to the Delobels at the time of their marriage, 10 years prior. The Delobels resided in France for the first few years of their marriage, and ship manifests indicate that they brought a servant with them, probably Lucy. Lucy either served as a lady's maid for M.A. or as a nurse for the Delobel children. On August 20th, 1869, Lucy married Marius Jones, a former Dupark slave. At the time, Marius was living in New Orleans in the former slave quarters of the Lacoule Mansion on Toulouse Street. He was working on a steamboat. Lucy and Marius might have form, been formalizing a relationship that had existed for many years prior to emancipation, or they may have only just become a couple. Any children they may have had together or from previous relationships died long before they did. Within a few years of their marriage, the Joneses purchased two lots of land on Burdett Street in the Carrollton neighborhood of New Orleans for $120. Lucy signed her name on the bill of sale, and according to the 1880 census, she could read and write. Whether the Duparks and Lacools provided her resources forbidden to most, or Lucy pursued her education independently, remains a mystery. Lucy Jones continued as a servant in the Lacoule and Delabelle household, remaining with her former, former enslaver Elizabeth as she grew elderly and infirm. In 1880, Joanna, Lucy's mother, died at the Lacoules Toulouse Street house. Though her death certificate and obituary state that she was 104 years old at the time of her death, Joanna was more likely around 90 years old. Joanna's presence in the Lacoule household, even when infirm and obviously unable to work, indicated the family's intimacy with Lucy. Lucy ministered to the needs of Elizabeth Lacoule, who had become housebound and was now suffering from dementia, until her death in 1882. The Delabelles continued to reside in the house, and it is likely that Lucy remained with them, possibly even until M.A. Delabelle's death in 1889. Lucy's brother Fenton, a carpenter, was living in the rear of the mansion at the time, indicating a lasting connection between the Moors and the Lacoules. Lucy spent 60 years of her life in the Lacoule household, sleeping in a small room close to her owners, anticipating their needs, caring for them when they were ill, 
watching as they aged, privy to their inner workings and secrets. Though the relationship between master and enslaved must have been very complex, Lucy had her reasons for staying with the Lacoul family, and the Lacouls had theirs for keeping her in their lives. Lucy died around 1890, within a year of Aimé Lacoul de Lobel, the little girl she was given to at eight years old, with whom she traveled the world and whose children she helped raise. Marius Jones was born on what is now Laura Plantation in 1823. At the time of his birth, his mother, Anna, was just beginning to fit into the slave community, having arrived on the plantation in 1819. Nanette Duparc had purchased Anna from Thomas Wiley when she was just 17 years old. When Nanette donated the business to her children in 1829, Marius was around five years old, the older brother of Adele, age three, and Nelson, age two. Anna appears to have been a house servant or skilled laborer, not a field hand. Marius's father remains unknown. Marius, Adele, and Nelson all used the surname Jones. After the Civil War, Marius worked on a steamboat, living in the workers' quarters of the Lacoul's Toulouse Street home in the French Quarter. After his marriage to Lucy, Marius lived and worked as a laborer at the Lacoul's New Orleans home, while Lucy continued as a housemaid and nurse. By 1890, Elizabeth Lacoul and her daughter, Aimée de Lobel, had died, and the de Lobel children, heirs to the Toulouse Street home and half of the plantation, began to sell property and leave Louisiana. Around this time, Marius's wife Lucy died. According to the 1890 New Orleans City Directory, Marius lived at 352 Burdett Street and worked as a gardener. Unlike his wife, Marius never learned to read and write. In the spring of 1895, Marius went before a notary and had a will drawn up. He must have been in very poor health, as he died just one month later, on June 20, 1895. He was 72 years old and, having no children of his own, left everything he owned to his sister, Adele Wright, and her only surviving child, Willis Wright. For the next few years, the Wrights lived in the Burdett Street home, sometimes renting it out and returning to Laura Plantation. On February 4, 1905, Adele Wright died, and Willis became her sole heir. He continued living in his uncle's home until 1909, when he decided to formally file his uncle's succession and assume sole ownership of the property. Upon Willis Wright's death, the Jones property was inherited by several nieces and a nephew still living in the Laura Plantation community. Due to Marius Jones's hard work and dedication, future generations of his family received much needed financial help. Thank you for joining us. We invite you to visit Laura Plantation, where you can walk in the footsteps of the people you've learned about today. For more information, see our website, www.lauraplantation.com. 
Our tour is based on thousands of pages of primary source documents amassed through tenacious research spanning three decades. At Laura, you will walk in the footsteps of the people who made history. Be in the rooms where it all happened. Join us again next week to hear real history about real people.